We'll be back with more killer clowns from out of space on USA. Up all night. It came right back to you. <laughs> nice. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. I am Mark James, and welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let's meet this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for in this week's bodacious B-movie battle. First off, dueling with 1991, say hello to Man Crush. What's up? That's right. We have B-movies from 1991, and this is probably something we should have told Rhonda before the show. Each round is all going to be geared towards B-movies. So it should be something you know a little bit about. <laughs> you would think. Like, <laughs> yeah, you would think. We'll see. We'll see. Also joining us on the panel this week is the host of the Video Rangers podcast, representing 1988. Please welcome back to the show, Mike Ranger. Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm very excited to be here. I guess you could say that I was up all night. <laughs> <laughs> and our third competitor for this B-movie battle is the host of the Hysteria 51 podcast, competing with 1993, it's Brent Hand. What's up? I'm feeling I'm feeling froggy. I'm coming off a win after, like, I don't know, 19 losses, so I'm a contender. I'm a contender. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you are, and I'm coming off, like, I, I think I won one somewhere in the middle, but it's, like, a good three losses in a row. I, yeah, but I barely territory. beat you last time I was on the show, and we, it was a coin toss at the end to see who won. So <laughs> We're going to have All a right. race today I, if we tell. I don't want to hear any of this complaining. I've been on this for like three years. I've won like one fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> Your luck is going to change. I feel it. Thank you. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week's celebrity guest judge is an actor, author, comic, designer, and entrepreneur who you'll remember as the beautiful host of USA's Up All Night. Please rise for Judge Rhonda Shear. Woo! What's up? Woo! And I mean rise. I would like everything to rise. Now, you threw me off because when you said beautiful host of Up All Night, I thought we were going with Gilbert. I, I got oh. confused here. We'll go with Gilbert. Now, I mean, Gilbert probably would win this one because he is truly a nerd. Truly a nerd. Well, that's why we have you as a judge, though. You, there's nothing to worry about. You you got this. That's why we vetted you out. We're like, Rhonda has this. She'll get it. She'll be perfect. I'm excited. Look, all my friends, like all, like Linnea Quigley, she's a good friend of mine. She was just on the show, on my little live show, too. So, yeah, I know, I know the actors. Probably not the name of the films, but hey, let's do it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judge's coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five dueling decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, 
with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. All right, duelers, schlock and load. It's time for more Dueling Decades. All right, let's go right down to Rhonda Shear for the coin toss to see who gets to go first in this game. So for this battle, we're going to have Mike Ranger and Brent Hand. Mike Ranger, why don't you call it in the air? What are you flipping? Do you have something? I'm actually going to flip my breasts, the girls. So so is he going to call right or left? <laughs> oh. <laughs> They're kind of long now, so it'll be long or short. 14-year-old me is so proud right now. <laughs> so you just get to call long or short. One's higher than the other. All right. So call it in, I guess call it in the air. Okay, have to, there we go. Have to call quick. I'm flipping them. Whoa. Flipped. Long or short. All right. Looks like I'm coming up long. <laughs> um, you win. No. All right. You I win. think we all won. I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. There's no loser in that. <laughs> all right, Mike Ranger. You won the toss off. You take control of the board. What category are we going with first? Well, I think I'm going to go with music, but I got to admit, I think I may have taken the B-movie thing a little bit too uh, literally, because I went with the soundtrack for Beaches. Oh. Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, B. <laughs> hey, everyone's no, got just their kidding. own interpretation. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just, so really what I went with was, uh, so, so I have no official release date on this one outside of it being released in 1988. I did find an article from May 29th in 1988 in the leisure section of the News and Observer titled, uh, Local Musicians Go Hollywood as They Benefit from the State's Growing Film Industry. Hmm. The article features Jay Mitchell, who had written two songs on the soundtrack for Assault of the Killer Bimbos, <laughs> released on May 6th, 1988. I have no sale numbers for this album, but it featured 10 tracks by no one I've ever heard of. <laughs> Give me that name one more time. Uh, Salt of the Killer Bimbos. Oh, have you seen I remember this movie? that film. That one actually played on USA Album. A lot. It played yeah. a lot. I, I can't say I remember the soundtrack at all. Yeah. Well, I've got some great memories. Uh, <laughs> I've got plenty of stained sheets from that year. So. From the soundtrack? Well, you should have seen the cover. Uh, <laughs> he's really into bass solos. It's disgusting. weird. I wouldn't worry about it. All right, Brent Hand, what do you have for the music round? All right, so uh, let me tell, paint you a little picture here. Oh, boy. The sole survivor of an ill-fated mining expedition tells how his taste for gold was replaced by that of human flesh. Through the art of song... 1993 saw the launching of the career of a newcomer to Hollywood, one who is still incredibly relevant today, and one who is as much known for his music infused with all his other works as he is for the works himself. The writer, producer, and director, Trey Parker, brought us Cannibal the Musical. Wow. Yeah, a live stage version was performed at Sierra College in May of 98, and then it went on to play off-Broadway and uh, 2011, it was produced and uh, shown off Broadway again. It's been kind of their cult phenomenon. And this is actually what launched uh, Trey Parker of South Park, if you guys are unfamiliar. Yeah. yeah. And, 
and yeah. uh, the Book of Mormon and Orgasmo and basketball and all that stuff. So it's a, a B movie musical. Cannibal, oh my god, man! That's... I probably have tri- I probably have trivia for you guys. I actually won a B movie award. Of course you should have, because you were the queen of B movies. But it was after my B movie days were over. I did one. I did one in the early 2000s, and I actually won Best Actress for it. Oh. It was called Prison A Go-Go. You have to look it up. (laughs) Well, I can tell you that I love you in basic training. Whoa. There you go. I've got yeah. I've got a copy right oh. here. I'm a big dork. Pull oh, <laughs> stuff out. You guys are sucking up to the judge already. It's only the first round. It's pronounced pandering. I, I've got props. Pandering. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you that was um. We I actually signed a contract that said how long my now they're not long. They weren't long then, but how long my breast would be on camera and like from what angle? Because I had never done anything like that before. Oh, wow. I've never done nudity. Well, you look like a natural. <laughs> <laughs> they actually like put that in the contract, like how long you're going to be I, nude yeah, in the movie. I did. I was mortified. I didn't want my parents to see. Yeah. And they did. They did. I had like, this little hot love scene. I, I, mm-hmm. Did you sit there. down and watch it with them? I watched it with my parents in New Orleans at a premiere, and I, I thought I was going to die with my, oh. my father. Yeah. It's <laughs> bad enough when you're die. a kid and a love scene comes on, but let alone you're sitting with your parents and you're in said <laughs> love scene. <laughs> it wasn't good. What did they What did they say to you? Like, what was the first thing out of their mouths? My, my dad was, he was, I mean, you know, he just wanted me to be a star, bless his little soul. So, you know, he was cool. <laughs> he didn't say my acting was that good, but, you know, he's... <laughs> thought it was a, a good start hey everybody invo- see now listen everybody involved with that film if you go and look at the directors and the producers on that they all went and did huge things did they bring me with them no they did not andrew <laughs> sugarman's still out there um what's the other guy uh, look at the name of the uh, gill 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 adler like he did uh see i'm so bad with this uh oh my gosh he had a huge series gilbert oh you're talking about uh Tales from the Crypt? Yes. Oh, yeah. And, and just because I didn't date him, he never put me on the fucking, I mean, the, that show. <laughs> oh, you could curse. You, you go for it. You could drop okay. any F-bomb you want or a bomb. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> he produced he the Superman Returns and uh, Constantine, which was a pretty good, pretty solid I movie. I know. Yeah. I'm I mean, not up on really producer serious. names. He was serious about me, but I was like, you know, I had so my, I, I wasn't into him i wasn't into that at the time and andrew sugarman had a crush on but he was married the the director (laughs) but he's still out there too i don't think he went as far as gil adler though i think gil adler's still pissed out at me because i didn't date him (laughs) (laughs) we should contact him somebody get his number let's call him right now (laughs) all right man crush what do you have for the music round before I get into my pick, I just wanted to throw this out there because I know people are going to be like, oh, B-movies or this or that. I think everybody's got their own interpretation of what a B-movie is because historically what a B-movie was in the 30s and 40s was a movie that was played before a regular feature that was made mm. for a little bit cheaper. The, you know, the, the movie theaters would get like a flat rate and they'd buy these movies. And then, of course, it changed over the years. So there's a lot of different interpretations of what you take as a B-movie. So when you're hearing our picks, don't get mad if you're like, oh, it's not a B-movie, because to us, they are. 
You know, yeah. whoever throws it out, that's a B movie to them. No one would ever mistake any of my picks for anything but perfect. So that was a I don't th- mine either. I don't think, but you never know. Like we get messages all the time, and I'm like, dude, it is what it is. Like that, that's just what it is. But let, let me get my pick here. Okay. So we got October eighth, nineteen ninety one, and depending on how you view this movie, this is either an amazing flick or a terrible one. I, but I was fortunate enough to have a soundtrack that was done for a movie that was released the following week. Kind of like Mike, but this one you might have heard of. And whether like Universal Studios wants to admit this one or not, this was just an attempt to cash in on a musician's instant popularity. This guy was a rapper. He had just had a monster album out seven months prior to the film shooting. Uh, his huge album, it was released in September of 1990, and they began filming this movie in April of 91. So you could say that things were moving extremely fast for this guy. Uh, but somehow... This album ended up peaking at number 89 on the Billboard 200, wow. which sounds pretty impressive. Yeah. But when it's a far cry from his previous album, which spent 16 weeks at the top of the Billboard 200. But, you know, like in retrospect, the writing was on the wall if you looked hard enough. And from this movie, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Rob Van Winkle would write four songs on this soundtrack. Get with it which just sounds awesome. Uh, Never Want to Be Without You, The People's Choice, and then the title track, Cool as Ice, Everybody Get Loose, which I <laughs> hate songs that have two titles, but it is what it is. The title track would also get nominated for a Razzie for the worst original song of the year, uh, but it would actually get edged out by MC Hammer's Adam's Groove, which yeah. was the uh, theme song to the 1991 Adam's Family movie. So I guess that's a little small victory here, but yeah. this cool as I soundtrack is just about as amazing as the movie for which it was made. And I recommend this movie to everybody. If you've never seen this gem, you absolutely have to. I don't care if you watch this version or if you watch the riff tracks, it's just, it's hysterical. It's so bad. It's there are like, two like monstrously famous lines from that movie that I always think of the one everyone. I'm going to throw one out go, at you right go here. Ahead. Ready? Ready? <laughs> I'm going to go across the street and uh, sling, sling a schlong. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? And then, of course, the uh, why don't you drop the zero and get with the hero? Get with the hero. Oh, God. So horrible. It's like, did they even have a script to this movie? And like, Mike, I have to ask you this. Like, yes, sir. How would you describe this movie? Is it like a music video on mushrooms or? Well, first off, it's shot by somebody that had only done commercials or music videos because it looks like yeah, a I was gap say, it looks like, like any time he's going to turn out with like Mentos in his yeah. hand or something like that. <laughs> the the dialogue is dreadful. There's zero story. Somehow, I, I think it's supposed to be like kind of like a a weird modern day take on um, like Rebel Without a Cause one. or something like that. Yeah, well, like what like the Wild One, I think is is what it's supposed to be. Like he's supposed to be Brando, <laughs> but it's. <laughs> yeah he's brando on a crotch rocket it's just dreadful i know yeah i just oh man even when i was a kid i was like oh <laughs> so bad <laughs> so talk about a movie that feels the need to abbreviate the word go <laughs> and somehow make it just as long and he's got all the words all over his coat yeah yeah he's ridiculous where's the sugar shack i can go i'm sorry I yeah, it's bad it's just and I, yeah, that, I got a little excited. I, that's why I wanted to ask yeah. you because it's such a monumental bad movie that I think it fits that B mold, even though it made it to the theaters. It's terrible. It barely made two million bucks. 
But this is the soundtrack for the 1991 classically horrible movie featuring Vanilla Ice, Cool as Ice. And that is my pick for 1991. It's definitely a B movie. And yeah. interesting thing about, about uh, Vanilla Ice, um, Ice Ice Baby was actually the B-side to uh, his his actual single wow at the time another b yeah had the had the dj not flip that record over you would not know who he is and there would be no cool as ice wow that's good good to know all right that's my pick mark all right so let's toss it down to our judge Rhonda sheer for the ruling for the first round okay so i get to pick who wins Mm mm-hmm oh definitely man crush (laughs) (laughs) wow Short, sweet, and to the point. No, I really like that because I I didn't know that trivia, and I I love I love that ice. What's this? That love ice ice baby. Rob Van Winkle. Yeah, no, that's cool. Who somehow looks exactly like he did then, just with tattoos now. He, he really oh, does. Right. There's that that's new movie hysterical. out called The Wrong Missy that just came out on Netflix. And he's got a little cameo towards the end of it. And he looks exactly the same. He played Uncle Rob in that wow. one uh, Adam Sandler film. He played himself. <laughs> but yeah. You, I, got, I you guys have to have Gilbert on. Have you had Gilbert on? No, I, we'd love that, though. That'd be great. Uh, I, I'll get him on for you. He would love this because he, <laughs> he is... He would love... He knows trivia and he knows all those movies. Like, he's a major movie buff. That would be so fantastic. I, yeah, well... Uh, I'll, get, I'll, make, I'll make that happen for you. Sweet. Awesome. All right, so that means I get control. Yeah. Man, I was not expecting to win round one. I know. Well, it, it was it was it was the love you put into it too. It was the passion of the presentation. That's, that's what I, I try to do. I try it sometimes. Let's. Uh, you know what? Let's go TV. I'm going to go TV on this one because I think there's more to be said on my pick, and it won't be coming from me. Let's just put it like that. Okay. Uh, January fourth, nineteen ninety one. Uh, you know, like not too often do we get to talk about a show that's in its third season, but this was just too good to pass up. I just landed on this one. We picked these dates ahead of time. I don't know what I'm getting. And initially, I didn't even think to look this one up because the show had already been around for a few years. It was already pretty popular. However, I think have, had this not occurred, we might not even have Rhonda on today. Like <laughs> she might have been doing something completely different. And that being said, I'm not going to go into too much detail and and in-depth on this selection because I want to hear it directly from Rhonda, and I'm sure everybody else does as well. I'll just preface it by saying this is Season 3, Episode 1 of USA's Up All Night. I can't do it as well as you. I'll let you do it in a minute. Oh, yeah, I can do it. (laughs) And this was Rhonda's debut on the show. What do you remember about, like, leading up to this, how you got the gig? Do you remember anything about, like, hosting basic training and the girl I want. Yes, I do. I actually, (laughs) (laughs) I actually, well, first of all, it took a really long, they had another girl on Caroline Schlitt who was on before me, who I thought was really funny, but USA network actually back in the day wanted to go even sexier. I think her, her humor from what I saw was very more, was more today. They want, but they wanted old school. They wanted Marilyn. They wanted, they wanted the ditzy. So I created the character and I went USA up all night in my kitchen one day. And um, so I, there was a producer rooting for me in New York. And um, it really took a long time. It was like a six month time. Like they interviewed me and it took six months later before I actually, you know, heard anything about it. And, and what was kind of sad, here's some trivia that you probably don't know, is Tim Conway Jr., who's still out there doing things, 
was the original was producing and he produced for Caroline Schlitt. So I thought he was going to be my producer and I was really excited about it. And then when they hired me and they let Caroline go, they let Tim go too. And I was oh, really wow. sad. It was horrible. I mean, it was just, I mean, I have to tell you, I probably went through five different producers who some of them I'm really still friendly with to this day, which is really cool. Um, but anyway, uh, leading up to that show, um, you know, I was playing around with the character and, and if you watched all the years, it changed because I went to New York and I ended up with um, Gilbert's producer for a year and he, he really made the, the character completely different. But I really, when I look back at the New York years when I was there for three years, those were my most favorite in terms uh-huh. of challenging myself. But I did love the sexy years and I think those were the ones that, that brought in so many teens and that's what you know, it, look, that's why I was there was to keep people watching these really bad films, and um, and 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 promoting you know what was the beer? It was Budweiser, and we had Snapple. So you know, and it, up all night, up all night was a major cash cow for the network. It cost nothing for yeah, them to do. Right. I can tell you that, and it was bringing in tons of money with advertisers, so they loved it. But anyway, getting back to your first uh, question. Um, yes, I do remember that first show, and we did it in the studio. We created the bedroom. That was my idea. We wanted to go out onto the town, but I wanted to start in this bedroom, boudoir, sexy setting, because I wanted to get away from what the other gal had done. And um, and I said, you know, I have this film that I was in, and it was in their library. I mean, basically, they they bought a bunch of stuff, and it was in their library, so they, they put it on for me to actually air uh, to host that was kind of yeah. cool though yeah that to was her, cool to like, be in the first episode. host myself even though the character when i see that very first airing i'm like i mean <laughs> <laughs> i almost posted the promo to that today. Um, my problem was that i had a really nice acting career going on before up all night but i used my own name instead of like elvira cassandra peterson who used elvira i probably should have used like you know some sort of or you know brandy or something but I wanted to get my own name out there. So uh, it, it really stuck with me, the character, for a long time. I think it's just recently. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're back doing this. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and I, you know what? And it's fun. It's, it's the first time I've, I've, I've had the girls out like in years, like <laughs> cold. They're cold and they're, they're long and cold. But anyway, they're there uh, and they're natural, kind of. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my story. And so, yes, I did have something to do with that. And I did have a lot to do with writing and the ideas for the different shows. And, and USA Network really was, would have watch these shows we would get by with like really making fun of the network and like really doing crazy stuff and then at the very end when they finally canceled the show and i'm just talking to someone who produced promos for the show online they just destroyed the tape for the tape i mean you know i know everything's digital today but back then everything was like on three-quarter tape they just destroyed it like uncle it was in my contract to get a copy of every show. So I was able to down, you know, they're all on disc, but then we've been downloading them. I don't have them all up there, but we keep Somebody downloading Somebody actually just too. asked us that today. When we posted the picture, they wanted to know if it was ever going to come out on Blu-ray the way that it was presented on the show. Because I think like a lot of us, like Mike and I, we have big collections, but we have the movies. Doesn't exist. Oh, I actually have somewhere in my files, I could tell you the name of every film you know, you know, that I, you know, with, with each show, every film that I hosted. Mm-hmm. And then back in the day, they gave me, I was supposed to watch every film. So I literally had a collection of every single film, wow. but I tossed them. I mean, I 
I lived in an apartment. I couldn't keep this this large, oh my God. you know, but I have, it would never come out because I'm the only one who owns them all. I literally, except for like a few, maybe 10 episodes, at least of mine. And I don't think there's people that taped them. That's why Gilbert show up and myself, but right. um, there's no one who had USA destroyed all of it. So and they're always beat up quality when they release too. Cause it's, you know, these tapes have been sitting around for 25 years right. and people are ripping right. them off the uh, VHS. Or I still have them. And out. my husband kept them in, like he created this, like, you know, they were in refrigeration, like in a studio in, in LA for years, like, you know, a storage facility. And then when, then when I got married and we moved to Florida, cause I didn't get married too much later in life. Um, I, um, to my junior high school sweetheart, oh. no less, but, um, yeah, that was kind of crazy. Uh, cause I couldn't handle those pro crazy producer types out there, but he kept them also up. So the tapes I have are still in really good condition and, uh, we're trying to, you know, it just takes time, but I've got, oh my gosh, I've got commercials. I'm like one of these I'm like a hoarder for my career. Right. So oh my I've God. got like, I would everything. love to see all those like that. <laughs> oh, is... you would love it. Cause you can you go would... back. I mean, like I said before, you can find stuff on YouTube, but it's so beat up and stuff's all cut up or it's missing sections. Right. It's just not the same. Right. I didn't, I didn't have the films. Like I didn't have the right to show the films, but USA up all night actually released the name up all night to me, which I, I own. I actually, oh. we had a little lawsuit going on. What was the, there was a, a sitcom for a minute in, in the early two thousands called up all night. And we said, Hey, we've got the rights to it. USA passed it on to me when they gave it up. And they went, yeah, well, we have deep pockets. What do you want to do about it? My husband went, I think we need to let them just go with it. <laughs> you know, can't sue a major network like that. But I now have a name within my line. You know, there's different, you own different names for different things, like products or, you know, a TV show. But we have the name Up All Night for one of our lingerie lines, which are which is our sexier lingerie line, which I don't sell on HSN. <laughs> so there's a little trivia for you. All right. <laughs> that well that's way better than what I could have said about the show. So <laughs> who get who who's up next, Mark? All right, Mike Ranger, what do you have for the television round? All right. Uh thank you, Mark. Uh well on Thanksgiving Day, November twenty fourth, nineteen eighty eight, on KTMA TV, Minneapolis, Minnesota Mystery Science Theater 3000 aired its first episode. Mm. Now, uh, everyone listening knows exactly what the show is. Uh, the, the riffing on B-movies continued from 88 to 96 with seven seasons, eventually moving to Comedy Central and then for another three seasons on the Sci-Fi Channel. The show returned after a crowdfunding project in 2015 that brought it to Netflix. The series also has a movie adaptation from ninety from 1996, a synopsis book covering every episode, a comic book, and live shows dating back to 1989. So yeah, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Wow. And it premiered on my birthday, so that's what matters. <laughs> wow, that's, that, that's, that's cool info. It's just like Joe Bob Briggs is still out yeah. there. But yeah. I, yeah, he is. I didn't realize that that show, and I remember it well. Yeah, we had his uh, the severed. What was, what's her title? The severed penis expert. The mangled dick expert. Mangled dick Ooh. expert. Felissa Rose. She was on a couple weeks back. She's wow. when when he needs an expert about mangled dick, he calls Felissa. So <laughs> that is a resume builder right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can say a lot. I, I'm going to behave. I can definitely go down that. <laughs> I'm not going there. All right, Brent Hand, what do you have for the television round? I had March. 
5th Friday. I think we all know where we're going with this. 1993 saw an episode of a show that we've been talking about. USA Up All Night. It played <laughs> two excellent B-movies that night. And the first one was okay. The second one is amazing. It's really awesome. The first one was Hot Chill. Uh, for adolescent youth travel to seek out employment opportunities at a resort in Mexico, and hilarity ensues, including sexual. Oh, wait, are you activity. talking about hot chili? Is that what you hot said? Chili. Hot chili. Hot chili. Oh yeah. man, it's a canon yeah. picture. Yeah. I got a. Uh, I got that on VHS. Do you really? Right I got the poster. <laughs> but the crown jewel of that night, outside of Rhonda herself, is a movie that came out originally in 1989. It starred. This is a bona fide B movie, but it starred. Bill Maher, Shannon Tweed, and Adrian Barbeau, cannibal women in the avocado jungle of death. The greatest title of a B-movie that I've ever heard in my life. Yes! That's the greatest title of any movie ever. That's pretty awesome. It's about the U.S. government grows worried for the nation's avocado supply, as they're one to do, after some confrontations with the piranha tribe of cannibal women who live in the mysterious avocado jungle and ritually sacrifice and eat men. The government recruits Margot Hunt Tweed, a professor of feminist studies at a local university, to travel into the avocado jungle and make contact with the women to attempt to convince them to, you know, move to a reservation condo in Malibu as what is to do. <laughs> and along the way, they meet up with a, a chauvinist guide, Mar, and uh, just all that stuff. But here's a little bit of trivia that's kind of interesting about it. The film's plot actually parallels the novel Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, as well as Apocalypse Now, which was based on the Heart of Darkness. And both Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Now feature a character named Kurtz who was going deep into the jungle to become uh, a deranged leader of a group of savages, the same as in this movie. So it's a little smarter than you think of, and it had Shannon Tweed kind of coming out of her uh, she was more mainstream, and then she went into her her um, sexy fun time movies, and this was kind of like right in the middle. Skinamax flavor. Yeah, exactly. And Bill Maher was a buddy of the guy who made it, so he he just you know got cast in it, and it's a lot of fun. And it's all it's, was this funded by the avocado farmers of uh, Mexico? I, what, like well, the entire thing was was shot on a university campus in California, so probably. <laughs> so funny! Wow. All right, so let's go down to our guest judge, Rhonda Shear, for the ruling on the television round. Well, you know, it was close on this one. It was really close, you know. Um, Mike had me, but Brent got me at the avocados. <laughs> That's cannibal women <laughs> in the avocado jungle of death. <laughs> I know, and I hosted it many times, and I also dated Bill Maher, and I did his show, and he's really a creep. And... Um, <laughs> And yeah, and that too. And um, he probably wouldn't want to talk about it. And he also had another show, which I had a little part on, which is how I met him called Hard Knocks. Yes. I had a little, mm-hmm. that was in that period too. So he was doing shit as well. Right. Right. <laughs> Why was he such a creep? I mean, he comes off as kind of a creep on TV. Oh, but... he's so snob. I mean, he was snobby then. I mean, oh. he trashed the guy I was dating. He, was, he just thought he was so brilliant. And um, and then he was mad at me because I wouldn't go out with him because I had this other boyfriend, but I was kind of loyal to the other boyfriend, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like well. how you threw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> like a six um, out of ten. 
No, he's really snobby. And the last time I saw him, which is a few years ago now, I ran into him at the Playboy Mansion at one of the last events there because I actually did a line of um, intimate apparel for Hef's last wife. And um, anyway, I ran into Bill and I said, let me, uh, look, you know, they let us take cameras back, uh, phones. So I said, I'd love, let, let me, I'd love to take a picture with you because, oh, no pictures, please. And I was like, Suck Oh my you. God, are you serious? <laughs> Not only did I see you in your bathrobe, but you, it was open and, it, and you had like really bad underwear on. <laughs> are you trying to tell us that Bill Maher has skid marks? <laughs> I don't know if he has skid marks, but. You know, he's She's out saying there. Bill Maher is he's a skid mark. You heard it here first. So yeah. That's, yeah, that's that's what I think. <laughs> from that. Yes, I think so. All right, Brent Hand, you pick up a point and take control of the board. What round are we going with for our final one point round? All right. Uh, final one point round. Let's move to hot products. All right. OK, so I, I thought a little bit outside of the box on this one. My hot product is actually a LucasArts game. And it's a video game that plays out. It's based on the style of a B-movie. And it's a sequel to another amazing game. Uh, and this one kind of have has its life of its own. And it's very much become the, the, the namesake of the whole franchise. But anyway, a mutant monster and lab assistant created by mad scientist Dr. Fred Edison drinks toxic sludge from a river behind Dr. Fred's laboratory. The sludge causes him to grow a pair of flippers, like uh, flipper-like arms, develop vastly <laughs> increased intelligence, and a thirst for global domination. Doctor Fred's plans oh. to resolve the issue by killing Purple Tentacle and his harmless but friendly brother Green Tentacle. But Green Tentacle sends a plea of help to his old friend, and the nerd Bernard Bernoulli enters, and hilarity ensues as it always does. Purple Tentacle escapes at the end to resume his quest to take over the world. This is, of course, the game Day of the Tentacle or Maniac Mansion wow. 2 Day of the Tentacle. It was a big commercial sex. sex. <laughs> Whoa. It was Whoa. a big commercial success, and it's had special editions. It's been remastered, and it was this point-and-click monster, mad scientist, co-eds in danger. Time travel was a huge part of it, and wow. they, they based it to be a B-movie on a on a point and click game, and also here's a little trivia: Day of the Tentacle features a four minute long animated opening credit sequence. It was the first Lucas Arts game to ever have anything like that in this huge intro, huh? and because it was like you were going into a movie. That's the way that they they based it off of. That's where they got the idea. Day of the Tentacle. Impressive. Yeah, I had that nice. on my Commodore. Yeah, and you can still pick it up. It plays if you have a Scum emulator. Scum was the 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 um, engine that it ran on, and uh, it's a fun game. It's a it's a lot of fun. What year was that? Nineteen ninety three. Oh, I, I thought that was older. Nope. Than that. Oh, I might have had that on my PC. Uh, Man Maniac Mansion, the first Maniac one, which Man did have yeah. Tentacle Monster in it, but that was older. This was the sequel. Okay. Maybe yeah. that. Uh, so it's not as good because it's a sequel. No, this is the one. No one remembers Maniac Mansion. <laughs> Man, uh, everyone yeah, remembers yeah. Day of the yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got a copy in one of these boxes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, got a copy you guys also, there, you Mike. need to have Lloyd Kaufman on. Has he been uh, on? I've had Lloyd on three times. We had another show before this for years uh, called Poop Culture, <laughs> and uh, Lloyd was on that. Was it three times Lloyd was on? I think so. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, Lloyd's great. 
Yeah, he was great. I mean, he was on. He, he personally was on up all night. Tons you were you oh, you right. introduced me to Tromaville movies and all that stuff. That's where I'd heard of him. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, Newcom High Two oh. is the one that's st- that and the first time I saw Toxic Avenger, and I rented it the next day because I needed to see all the shit they took out. I I really think that they must have aired those movies every week. Man, seriously, like, it was. <laughs> Some, I mean, I think I saw uh, what's that one that I was talking about the other day, Mike? Uh, the Frogtown movie. Oh, Hell Hell comes to Frogtown. Frog yeah, I think I seen I that. Was in one of them. Oh, I was oh in really? Yes. Was that... I don't remember what I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I seen that on Up All Night a lot. I'm pretty sure yeah. it was on. A, I was a in the second one. Yep. Don't ask. I, ugh, okay. <laughs> well, that that leads into my pick then. All right, Man Crush, what do you have for the Hunt Products round? All right, so we, let's go uh, November 30th, 1991. And this one was tough, but being that this is a B-movie episode, I had to go with a VHS release. And I was about to pull the trigger on a movie that was released in 1987, and they took four years to release it. But then this, I found this movie has such a huge cult following that I had to go with it. And matter of fact, the following is so strong that they had a sequel come out in 2015. So we got some legs here, which I like to say on the show. So you had uh, Hollywood Royal Pictures Productions. That's a mouthful. They put this one out, and uh, they have it as one of the worst films of all time. And it's funny that we talked about uh, Frogtown and everything, because this film stars the incredible Robert Zadar, yes. uh, Matt Hannon, and Mark Frazier. And after, uh, let me just give you a little background on the movie if people don't know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. But uh, director Amir Shervan, he met Matt Hannon. And he immediately knew that this guy was the man for the job. And he, like, handed him the script basically, like, that same day. He was like, all right, here, you're the guy. Uh, we're going to begin filming next week. Well, the problem is the movie's titled Samurai Cop, and Matt Hannon, who is the Samurai Cop, had zero fighting experience, <laughs> which is awesome. So you just know how amazing this is going to turn out to be. And Hannon, Hannon said that the, uh, the fight scenes in this movie – they were typically planned by the actors like a few minutes prior to the scene actually being shot. So you know that they're good. Uh, but the best part of this movie for me, and uh, I heard this, I don't remember if it was in the sequel that I heard the uh, like on the extras or whatever, but Hannon talks about this, and you definitely notice this in the movie. He has this long brown mane of hair. And when shooting ended, he thought that he was done. So he cut all his locks off, and little did he know, they were calling for reshoots in early 1991. So, Amir Shervan, the director, hooks him up with a women's brown wig for the rest <laughs> of these scenes. And it's a bad wig. I mean, it just looks like it's sitting on top of his head. And when you watch the movie, it opens up with a scene where he's in the car, which is it's like so nonsensical. But like you could see it immediately. that He's got this really shitty wig on. And so you just know that it, this is going to be good stuff. And uh, the movie, it's, like, so unintentionally funny that, like, Hannon said that there was times during the movie that he would mess up his lines on purpose because the director didn't give them any opportunity to do multiple takes. So he was like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it wrong and see what happens. And these, the fucked up takes are in the final cut of the movie, which is amazing. We don't have money for film. Oh, yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened. They ran out of money. They stopped and they came back like six months later to do the rest or a year later, whatever mm-hmm. it was. But you had like overdone sex scenes. You had the horny nurse scene where she asked him if he's circumcised. 
you got the uh you got like a, a, of course you got a samurai with no martial arts experience you got robert zadar in a scene that i still remember to this day where he's hiding in like a hospital hamper with a samurai sword spoiler before he cuts a guy's head off uh in a bed you have amazing dialogue you have the fucking wig it's the gift <laughs> that keeps on giving the hardest working chin in hollywood robert zadar <laughs> Oh, it's oh, dude! When that guy died, I was oh. I, I had a tip. I had to tip some beer for him. Man, I tell you what, like, dude! He, Maniac Cop, criminally underrated. Love, I love criminally Maniac underrated. Cops. Matt Cordell should be up there with uh, Jason Voorhees, as far as I'm concerned. But that's a- <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, wow. you got that. So <laughs> he's really selling my pick. No, no, not that movie. The one I was talking about. <laughs> it's the 1991 cult classic Samurai Cop on video cassette. Uh, some some Polish company actually uh, picked it up because he tried to get this thing distributed and couldn't find anybody. But some Polish distributor was like, yeah, let's do this. I don't know why that sounded like I came from South America or something, but that's what it is. <laughs> All right, Mike Ranger, what did you bring for the hot products round? Well, Mark, I found an article in the Dayton Daily News on February 1st, 1988, titled Video Stores Should Be Prepared for Spring Releases. And one of those releases would be on February 10th when a scary German guy would offer a group of friends their last chance for pie in the cult (laughs) classic The Monster Squad. Brought to you by Vestron Video at the low, low price of $89.98. So grab a virgin, the nearest VCR, and a few cases of holy water for an epic battle between a monster club and the Universal Monsters that'll have you screaming, give me the amulet, you bitch. (laughs) (laughs) You know what the best part of that movie is? It's PG. It's made for kids. It's like a horror movie for kids. And then there's the older sister who they think is a virgin. But then, like, she has to explain that she's not a virgin in that scene before going to the little girl. Well, he doesn't count. He doesn't count. He doesn't count. He doesn't count. I was like, what does that mean? Wait, this is for kids? And they use the bitch word in it? It, Yeah. It's, It's the Goonies meet. The Universal yeah. Monsters. Yeah. That's basically yeah. what it Focus. is. But it's amazing. Um, I actually had a screener copy of this when I was a kid. Ooh. And it's my favorite part of that movie is when when uh, they're like, Tunsi uns nits ve. Yeah, it's actually a really good. My favorite thing is like they're trying to figure out how they can kill a, a werewolf. Is like, I don't know. Throw him out of a window with a bomb onto power tools or whatever. Then they end up doing that, and he blows up, and then he just yeah. comes back together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They tried everything. The names Horace. Oh, yeah, wow. I you know I always loved that they like you know that he lives so close to the drive-in movie that he can yeah. sit oh, on awesome. his roof and watch it. That was like While my dream. Eating a like, oh, I'll just move next to a movie. <laughs> Product placement. Yeah, amazing movie. All right, so we've heard all three picks for the final one-point round. Let's go down to Rhonda Shear for the judgment. You guys just amaze me with your knowledge of everything. <laughs> hey, don't be amazed. It's, it's all a, research. Yeah, it's it's a wasted life. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have friends like you guys. Um, another really hard one, but I think I have to give this one to Mike for his accent and acting it out at, at the very end there. That, Thank that's you. a and, solid and movie. That, that, that's really good. And the good. fact that that was like a film that they the bitch word was used, but it was for kids. Like, I love that. Um, and virgins. Yeah. So. yeah. And taking pictures of a topless uh, high schooler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, the, the house across the street. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're all watching her in the uh, the treehouse. Yeah. A lot of good stuff in there. It's it's a wonder why our world is so <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> 
everybody would just watch the movies that we watched in the 80s and 90s, I think we'd be okay. Yeah. Yeah, but then we'd also have an issue with, you know, showers or panty raids or... (laughs) Not that That's movie. True. Yeah, that not that be, movie. That should be yeah. the worst thing going on. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I miss a good panty raid. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, on that note, Mike Ranger, you take control of the board heading into our first two-point round. What category are you going to go with? All right, guys. So I'll go with news. Um, I found an article in the Desert Sun located in Palm Springs, California, <laughs> on April 12th, 1988, titled, Investor to Take Helm of Troubled Cannon Group. The story tells us that a European investor will assume control of the Canon Group and that the entertainment company headed by Gollin and Globus would retain directorships on its 14-member board but would no longer jointly control the company. Canon's film entities would become the Canon Entertainment Group. A series of box office disappointments from Masters of the Universe to Superman 4 and massive debt were all factors in the demise of the production organization that unlike any other majors, as Roger Ebert said, had taken more chances. So you basically have Canon, you know, getting themselves into so much financial trouble that they, Gollum Globus, lose control of the company. And, you know, they didn't leave but a few years after that. Wow. So, Canon's yeah. so famous with that. I always just think of the, the logo. <laughs> yeah. You know, the big logo. Yep. It's my favorite. Yeah. I mean, really, like, when you really think about it, I mean, the 80s was the best time for Hollywood to take chances on things. You don't get a Howard the Duck in any other era. Right. You don't get a Garbage Pail Kids movie. You don't you don't get that stuff. And or an over the top, right. you know, like every, everything Canon was doing was so different than what well, everybody that's else why was doing. None of us are wearing our hats right now, because if we turn them around. It's like we're turning on a machine. Well, you know, it's, it's like a, a switch. It's a switch. Yeah. Like a, a switch. Like, like know, a truck. Like a machine. Like, like the truck, yeah. She's like, what the hell are you guys fucking talking yeah. about? No, I was thinking about Canon Films because I I think that they were on Wilshire Boulevard, close to where I lived. And I, I can't remember the names of the films, but I went there for a few auditions along the way, which I never got a Canon film. But I thought they were much, it was a big deal. It, yeah. it was just a big deal. You probably, you probably wanted too much money because from what we've heard, we had people on from <laughs> Canon a couple years back. We had, uh, I think Diane Franklin was on and um, yeah, Shabadoo, and they were just yep. they were telling us how like how just how cheap Golden yeah, and Globus no. were. Yeah, you know? he was cheap. No, 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 I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't the reason. I think I just didn't get the <laughs> damn part, but. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I would have taken it for literally a dollar ninety eight, but um, <laughs> no. But uh, he was known to be cheap. He definitely was known to be cheap, and I can't say I had any uh, run-ins with him with casting couch. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, yeah, we never heard any bad stories about Menachem. It was just like, yeah, just that he was cheap, not you know, yeah. nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Right. All right, Brent Hand, let's go over to you for the news round. All right, uh, so this comes from the New York Times, February 28th of 1993. Uh, This is a story called The Rise and Fall of the Killer Bees. And it starts out, sadly, bee movies were dying as costs rocketed and tastes were changing. Uh, Domestic box offices and reviews of bee movies plummeted 76% from 1989 to 1991, uh, said David Davis. That's a redundant name and awesome. Uh, he was an analyst with Paul Kagan Associates, a media research company. And he said similar 
Home video sales for the B-movies have fallen by more than half in the last five years. In 1991, the entire B-movie industry took in only $33 million at the domestic box office, uh, estimated to compare to $4.8 billion for the film industry as a whole. And it goes on to talk about the whys and if you know what could happen. And uh, they said many B-movie makers can be found this week at the American Film Market, an annual sales convention for independent film studios being held in Santa Monica, California. And Mark Damon, a director of the American Film Marketing Association, predicted that one-third of its 124 members won't be around next year because of the decline of the B-movie industry. And a number of them had already gone out of business that year in 93. And uh, they talked about how, like... Major directors like uh, Joe Dante, Francis Ford Coppola, James Cameron, they all had start and be movies. And uh, they made movies like The Trip with Jack Nicholson, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, the 1960s version of, of uh, Little Shop of Horrors from Roger Corman. And Corman said, when I started, the average major studio picture cost $1 million to $2 million, and I could make a movie for 50000 to 100000 But now 50000 won't cover catering costs on a major film. And budgets blew. We've and, seen those movies these days. Yeah, right. And it just <laughs> killed the B movie uh, genre. He said. So yeah, that's from '93. It's it certainly didn't hurt the B movies in their afterlife, running on up all night and all the other. Well, I think the thing that they weren't thinking about is the world changed to where we it became so much smaller because we had the internet became so prolific and we have you know, digital copies of things now. And we're going back and we're watching these movies that, you know, Mike, you you know, how hard is it to find some of these movies on VHS? You might pay hundreds of dollars. Then now you can also go and buy a torrent or, or download a torrent or buy it online or things like that, that, that weren't right. available before previously. And it's given these, you know, I hate to use a, the cliche, but cult following. So a lot of movies that probably would have went by the wayside. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact that they had, I mean, well, why did they have all these hosts of all these beef? I mean, they were, it was huge. Yeah. The genre yeah. was huge. And I mean, I went to m- many American film markets that seemed like there was a lot of business going on. So I think they're talking more about theatrical releases and yeah. things like that as opposed yeah. to straight to video. I think right around, yeah, right around that time, yeah. that's when straight to video started to really skyrocket. It was like, all right why bother it's like now right like right. how you know universal's pulling out of the come back around going vod it's coming right back around again it's like why are we gonna do why are we gonna deal with a middleman when we could just release it on our own and make the same amount of money well that was 93 right. and then you're looking at 94 one year later clerks comes out and that's a, a b movie on paper that skyrockets because you had someone doing it on their own that that opened to a tiny amount of theaters but still open and now here we are all these years later still talking about it. So they never really went away. I but, think yeah. there's a, I think there's a major thirst for them. I mean, I, I get so many, you know, people reaching out that want to go back. I think it's like, it's Sharknado, kind of like you know, that's Sharknado. Yeah. Well, it's also like reliving your childhood and re, like they were, they were my, some of them were just mindless and some of them were just, they were just fun and everything is very different now. Like everything's just, I don't know. I I think they were great. And by that, by, by the way, back then special effects were real special effects. If someone bled to death, they had to put the chocolate thing in your mouth and you'd have to explode it. And it was disgusting and it tasted bad. Now all the special effects are done afterwards. So, I thought you were going to say they really killed him. They just killed him. (laughs) 
Yeah, just got yeah they, they found a guy that they didn't like, and they were like, yeah, fuck that yeah. guy. <laughs> just the Rick Baker and, and really. Tom Savini's of the world are, are going by the wayside, sadly. And yeah, of course. Yep. Practical effects are still fantastic. Yeah, they're the best. The real ones. They hold up better yeah. than anything. Mm-hmm. You kind of just accept it. You look at it like, all right, that's a puppet, but it looks pretty yeah. fucking good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, Man Crush, why don't you close up this news round? What do you have? All right. Well, I'm glad that both of you brought the effects of what happened to the B-movie industry. Well, I'm going to give you the cause. All right. <laughs> I, this was not planned, but I'm going to tell you why this happened. All right. So August 26, 1991. Firstly, I got to go back to July 31st, 1991. There was a movie called Hot Shots that came out, and it was doing really well at the box office. So United Press International decided to do a little like fluff piece on John Cryer who was in Hot Shots. And I was looking for stories about various film studios from 1991. So while I was looking for a story about 21st Century Films, which is a spinoff of Canon Films, I stumbled upon the article, and this is just something that had to be shared. And the title of the article is Hot Shots Star Labeled Studio Killer. (laughs) All right. I'm going to read you like first paragraph of this thing, just to preface it, and then I'll give you the examples, and then we'll know why all of this happened okay actor john crier has left some of hollywood studios in ruins crier a high energy talent has been in two big hits pretty in pink and the current number one film hot shots but like most actors a number of his pictures had flopped unusual in his case is that a handful of studios have closed their doors after producing his films Cryer wonders if he hasn't set some sort of record for shuttering studio operations <laughs> with such films such as Hiding Out, Dudes, and O.C. and Stiggs. Cryer offered a review of his carnage. So let me uh, let me give you the guys. This is great. All right. O.C. and Stiggs is his first film, and it's so bad that it's considered a masterpiece in Europe. And MGM, it put MGM on the rocks. The film was shot. In 1983, and it didn't get a theatrical release until 1988, five years later. His second movie, No Small Affair with Demi Moore, it bombed super hard in the box office. The director, Marty Ritt, got sick during the shooting of this movie, and he wasn't able to finish. So they essentially just started over from the beginning with somebody else. So this was a huge failure for uh, Columbia Pictures. They didn't even make back half of what they spent on the movie. And then, to piggyback off what Mike said, his most notable, Superman 4, which completely decimated Canon Films. <laughs> Canon was, they were in huge debt at the time because they had a lot of loans that were due. They ended up like releasing the movie Superman 4 early just so that they could pay back loans. They wanted that quick cash grab so they could pay back the loans. However, in doing so, it, they should have had six months of post-production time. They did everything in four weeks, wow. which is why you see fucking wires while Christopher Reeves is trying to fly. All right? <laughs> I'm not even finished. Yeah. This is how bad this guy's career was up to this point. Then he did Morgan Stewart's Coming Home, which is like a Ferris Bueller ripoff. And he said this is his self-proclaimed, it's his biggest disaster. It killed King's Row Films. But they also fired the director. They rewrote the entire script, and then they put a nude scene in for him. Who the fuck wants to see John Cryer naked? 
I do. That's why I own a copy. <laughs> oh, God. Awful. Yeah, and that part of the tape is all worn out Dude, on Give mics. me a break. I wanted to see his ducky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it sucks because every time he gets to it, it just says tracking, tracking. Yeah. Tracking. <laughs> it says auto. Mangled penis. Mangled penis alert. <laughs> somebody, somebody call Felissa Rose. We need an expert. All right. So then after that, he did Dudes, which killed the Vista organization. And which was really hard to get on VHS for, or on on digital rather, even probably VHS for a long time because of the soundtrack and stuff. Then after that, he did Hiding Out, which killed D. Lenore, uh, what is it, D. Laurenitis Entertainment. Oh. And then to, to finish De Laurentiis? De Laurentiis? De, De Laurentiis, that's it. Uh, he's, he killed them. And then he did a sitcom for CBS called The, the Famous Teddy Z. Did only like they filmed 20 episodes, but only 15 aired. And he like in this article, he says that, uh, you know, CBS hasn't been doing well since, you know, I did this show, which was in 1989 to 90. So there you have it. The man responsible for killing some of the biggest B studios around John Pryor. Never kick a gypsy. That's crazy. That's why. And he admits all of this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's in it's a hole in this article. Man, that guy is just a walking disaster. <laughs> if he ever teamed up with Charlie Sheen, it's <laughs> well, fortunately for him, he he had a good string there in uh, the two uh, thousands. Good research. All right, let's head down to our judge Rhonda Shear for the judgment on the news round. I'm telling you, you guys are really good, but um, this time Man Crush crushed it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think John Cryer. John Cryer did. John Cryer crushed it. I mean, that was just a whole lot of research and crushing, and pretty much the end of that's how the end of when they called me, told me up all night was over. That's how I felt, you know. So. Yeah. Oh, how did that go? Like, what was that like when that finally came to an end? Oh, well, um, it was the press of the network who was trying to save his butt and trying to save budget, a little budget, because the network was just having financial problems. So they were just getting rid of, they were tossing shows and getting rid of a lot of shows. So was it because of wrestling at the time? Is that kind of, I wasn't, the, that wasn't the excuse. I mean, that was not the reason we just thought there was like, the president was just trying to save his butt. Everybody was just trying to save their butt. So his friend, from what I heard from producer friends down the line, so he thought by cutting a few of the shows, I don't know if Weird Science, I think that that, that stayed on, but um, we were just a little show. And so he just cut it and he called, it was very funny though, because I had a phone call. He's like, well, you've done so well for us PR wise, because I did everything. I even went out on calls with, for them when they were trying to get advertisers. Mm-hmm. Like, I would actually go on these, with their account managers to like the head of Budweiser. I mean, talk about, trying, talk, here. talk about trying to keep your job, you know, but right. anyway, um, so he just called and he said, you know, you've been very loyal. So, uh, you know, I could just like drop your contract and just pay you for three months, but I'm going to give you six months afterwards. I wanted to say it should have been longer, but that's okay. No, it was, it, it was sad. It was sad. Yeah. Yeah, that's a long time, seven years. I mean, it was, it really place, was a long really. time. There was a little piece of me that was like, oh, good, I can move on to something else. I, I, and, but then another, another piece of me knew that it was going to be really hard to move away from that character. Comfort's a so, drug, you know, and repetition and knowing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but, you know, I, I did a lot of stand up comedy. You know, I headlined stand up during that time and I continued to do stand up afterwards. And, my stand-up comedy kept my husband and I, I mean, when we got married, we, we both were doing very well financially, but when we got together, we had a lot of debt. 
So um, he had a business and I, and I had a lot of stuff going on. So anyway, long story short, my stand-up comedy kept us alive until we got our new business going. And it's all in my book, which happens to be right here. My- oh, look at that. What, is that out already or is that something that's coming yeah. out? Yeah, no, you can get it on. You can get it through rondashear.com or through Amazon. And it's called Up All Night from Hollywood Bombshell to Lingerie Mogul Life Lessons from an Accidental Feminist. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. So, no, it's really good. It's got a lot of Up All Night pictures in it. And also, it, it's, it's actually very inspirational because. It, t- it tells people how to get a product to market. Not, I mean, it does have some up all night stories and it has some, some you know, uh, me too moments in there, but it also has a lot to, to do with like how I got started in business and, you know, finding love later in life. So it's good. Let me tilt the camera. Okay. So um, anyway, guys, I, I'll send you one. I'll have Marie send you one. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. There's probably some cool trivia in there. I think there's some trivia uh, about Will Chamberlain's mangled peanut in there. <laughs> well, you use it that many times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think there could be random peanut stories in there. Not that I ever saw them, but I just heard about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, when Mark reads anything, it has to have a random peanut story, or he's not into it. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, you take the lead three to one heading into the final round. What do you got, man? We're going to movies. It's the last round. We've had movies for the whole thing. Let's, we might as well finish up with movies. So uh, we got uh, August 23rd, 1991. And here's a movie. It was done by veteran director Mark Lester. This is the same guy that gave us Firestarter, Class of 84. Hmm. And one of my personal favorites, the rite of passage for every young man, Commando. <laughs> Uh, but anyhow, <laughs> this amazing action movie, it would get a short-lived theatrical release, but it would really hit its stride when it hit the rental market. And depending on how you see a B-movie, like we, we talked about before, this is historically what a B-movie was all about. You had a small-budget movie that was tailor-made for the straight-to-video market. They put it in theaters, but it's not really where it belonged at that time. You get Dolph Lundgren in the lead role of this movie. And at this point in his career, he's he's getting better with every movie he did. And I think for all intents and purposes, I think the typical movie go- goer would only know Dolph from Rocky Four. Hmm. But all of us tape heads that were like living in the trenches of these video stores, we already knew Dolph from like Masters of the Universe, I Come in Peace, hmm. Punisher, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, it felt like he was already a pretty big star and he was like to the video store, this guy was like a blue chipper, you know, in 1991, he really was. Then to package this one up, and it's an amazing martial arts buddy cop action movie, you get his partner, Brandon Lee. So, like, and I think one of the amazing parts of B-movies is sometimes you get, like, a star in the making, and Brandon Lee was that in spades in this movie. Son of legendary Bruce Lee, amazing martial artist, charismatic, you just saw the star power, you know, developing in Brandon Lee. And of course, you know, he had a couple more before his untimely death. And then uh, to put the cherry on top, then you get legendary actor. You got uh, Carrie Tagawa as the head of the Yakuza faction. And what's a oh. B movie without a gorgeous female? So you get Tia Carrere uh-huh. and she also gets nude in this one. So it's total <laughs> win-win for everybody. Uh, this fantastic movie, it would, it would only pull in about $2 million at the box office. But like I said before, its legacy resides at the video store. And this is the classic showdown 
in Little Tokyo with Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee. Hmm. I like it. Good stuff. All right, Mike Ranger, what do you have for the final movies round? Well, Mark, let me tell you, uh, on May 27th, 1988, audiences found out that in space, no one can eat ice cream when they met some alien bozos with an appetite for close encounters. So step right up and see the greatest show in the galaxy, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, huh. written and directed by special effects artist the Shiato Brothers, who designed the Krites and Critters, the sci-fi comedy inspired by B-movies of the 1950s and 60s, featuring a blob-like story of a shooting star intruding on a date night and bringing panic and mayhem to a small town. Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the B-movie with big shoes and big teeth. <laughs> Another one I saw in USA. <laughs> yeah, <one> I remember <laughs> that title. I always think of the cop in that one was the dude from Hunk. Another one of those yep. like B movie. Oh God, the movie that where like no matter where they are, they ha when they have to change scenes, they just put up a yeah. sheet and yeah, it's a different exactly. color. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you know it's good. <laughs> All right, Brent Hand, over to you for the movies round. So my movie came out on October 29th of 1993, and this was the third film in a film series, and this was a huge departure, at least in. Uh, tone and feel from the original two but it is still an awesome movie it was directed by brian usna and it stars melinda clark j trevor edmund kent mccord and basil wallace and if you're a fan of acupuncture nipple piercings or spinal cords or trioxin gas this is right up your alley because of course this is the third entry in the zombie franchise return of the living dead returning the living dead three and uh having recently witnessed the horrific results of a top secret project to bring the dead back to life a distraught youth performs operation on his girlfriend after she's killed in a motorcycle accident which brings her back and she's noted as saying the pain keeps the hunger away and guess what the zombies weren't kept away <laughs> and the entire movie <laughs> is her just mutilating herself sticking needles through her nipples and sticking them under her fingernails and her, and I, I i spoke about the spine she actually gets in a fight with a guy and grabs his head and rips it out so the spine's out then he turns to a zombie and he has like a flopping around zombie head it was one of my favorite zombies of all time and this one was weird because this one actually was the military trying to figure out how to kill him because if you guys remember in return of the living dead shoot him in the head doesn't do anything they have no way to get rid of them and then they did go on to make a couple more uh sequels in the 2000s but this was 1993 hmm. return of the living dead three with nipple piercings always enhances any zombie <laughs> movie, <I imagine. laughs> sure but let's see what Rhonda Shear has to say for the final verdict on this game. Well, you know, all three of those were great stories and great research. Um, and zombie films are, you know, I, I love zombies. Uh, but I have to tell you, um, we're talking B films and classic and 1988. Uh, it, it's got to go to Mike. It's got to go to yeah. Killer Clowns in Outer Space. We'll be back with more Killer Clowns from Outer Space on USA. Oh! Oh, it came right back to you. <laughs> nice. You know, fun fact about that movie, the brothers actually thought that the shower scene would rival Alfred Hitchcock's oh, uh, shower see, scene. See, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know if they were serious, but that's what it says in the back of the I DVD. I can't remember who played like the chief pol- of police in that, but he was just terrifying. I remember. Oh, it was uh, uh, Vernon from uh, the Animal yeah. House. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just was that the guy that he like handcuffs the uh, the clown and like... takes his hands off? Yeah. And takes his hands off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was on double secret probation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, jewelers. So you know what that means. We once again have a tie <laughs> between Mike Ranger and Man Crush Ooh. at three apiece. So we have to go yeah. to the wild card round. All right, uh, Man Crush, Mike Ranger, do you guys have an extra pick you can give a quick take on? Sure. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, why don't you go first? <laughs> All right, so this is uh, this is a news story from uh, August of 1991, and the title of the story is Pentagon Demands Flattery for Film, and they go on and on and on, but I'll get to the best part here. It says the uh, Pentagon claims that Cannon had welched on three pivotal points that they had agreed upon. They wanted to have the, uh, the Chuck Norris do a National Guard recruitment commercial uh, that had been promised by uh, Menachem, but never followed through. Uh, the Pentagon wasn't allowed to preview the movie, and a voiceover disclaimer was omitted from the final credits. The disclaimer was to say, it is not the intention of the producers to portray in this motion picture that national security would or could ever be in jeopardy. The American military is here to protect every citizen. <laughs> so they left out these things that they, uh, I guess the anything with like war, I guess in the eighties with, uh, you know, like Ronald Reagan or whatever, they wanted all these things and they wanted the Pentagon to look at the movies and <laughs> Cannon just said, yeah, we'll do that. And then they released it and said, yeah, we forgot. <laughs> so, and then afterwards they, they said in this article that uh, Chuck Norris said, if he knew about it, he said, nobody had ever told him if he knew about it, he definitely would have done it for free. <sighs> but of course it never happened. But think about the recruitment numbers. If Chuck Norris was doing national guard commercials, what could have been? Hey, it's your good pal Chuck Norris here. <laughs> as long as he doesn't tell them all they have AIDS. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right, Mike Ranger, what do you have for the wild card round? Well, Mark, uh, I have a, another movie that was released in 1988 called Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. <laughs> And uh, this movie is about a detective who embarks on a mission to track down a woman in L.A.'s seedy nightclubs, only to come face to face with a bloodthirsty cult of lethally beautiful prostitutes. But yeah, that old chestnut. So there's, there's, it's in Hollywood. There's chainsaw hookers. The tagline is they charge an arm and a leg. And the funny thing about that one, I remember turning on Good USA one. Up All Night in like kind of like the middle part of that movie. And all I remember is this one guy like gets laid down on the bed. He gets like this cool ass strip tease. He thinks everything is going great. Chainsaw to the dick. <laughs> <laughs> Once yeah. again with the mangle dick. Mangle yeah, penises. <laughs> it always does. Ooh. In my life, everybody else's life, apparently. <laughs> All right, so once again, let's go down to Rhonda Shear for the final ruling on this game, and let's see who wins this B-movie battle. You know I love each and every one of you with all my heart, because I've known you for such a long time, and (laughs) (laughs) I'm completely just amazed and impressed with your knowledge of things that no one else gives a shit about, and (laughs) no, it really is impressive. I have many friends, including 
the producers who do my show that would be in love with you guys. I feel like my wife is trying to give me a compliment right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm truly impressed and I'm impressed with the love and the research and your love of the genre. But you know, Mike keeps just going after my heart and up all night and bringing back those memories of me going, honey, we changed our hookers. I'll be back with Rhonda on up all night. So Mike, I, I love all of you. I mean, I mean, how could you not love someone with the name Man Crush? How could you not just love big, lovable, not big, but Brent, you know, he's, he looks like a teddy bear. Thank you. But Mike, you win. It's about time. All right. Congratulations, yeah. Mike Ranger. Look at that. Why has it been a while? Has it been a while? I've won like maybe twice in three years, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you've won more than that. You're not giving yourself credit. See, he, he knew how to he knew how to play up to the guests. Oh, I've I've been waiting for this for like twenty years, man. <laughs> yeah, he knew how to play up to the guests. He just Rhonda, I gave you your first ever episode. You didn't even give me that round. I I didn't. That's I no. thought I did. That oh, really recount. Sucks. It's a recount. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I gave you that one. That's <laughs> ah, all right. I'm used. To, I, I'm getting used to losing now. It's been a month. I'm very. I am impressed with the passion you put into it, Man Crush. You do. There's oh. because your stories they go on, and then the stories have stories, and the and then those stories have more like trivia. So I am impressed, and I would love to come back again. You know, and maybe oh. and, and drink alcohol the whole time. Yes. <laughs> That would be excellent if you could do that. Can we actually have some? Uh, we have like ton of people on our Facebook that have some quick questions. Do you mind? No. Answering a few of them. No. I have them up right here. I I posted a picture up on our Facebook earlier, and I just said, "Hey, if you got questions for Rhonda, throw them down here." So I'm just gonna read them all. We'll go one by one. See what you want. All right. So okay. the first question here is from uh, Adam Ross. He says, "Is it true that you used to date Shawn Michaels?" No, that was WWF. That was that was USA Network. Um, that was just a big promotional thing. And we, we did work a lot together. I did a lot, a lot of stuff for them. They were broadcast exclusively on USA. So I did a lot with them. It was it was quite fun. So we did all these photo shoots like, he, you know, like we were dating. But um, we were friends. We did become friends from that. No, I never did. I think dated, I do though. remember. Yeah, there was like a picture of you and him. Like you guys did like a limo shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we day. did a few things yeah. together. He was awesome. And but... then you were the timekeeper at WrestleMania 10. Exactly. That was That's yes. right. Mm -hmm. All right. So we got one from Anthony Sampson said, uh, did it hurt when you fell to earth from heaven? Yes, it did. <laughs> and it's still hurting. Yeah. It did. Wah, wah. It, it hurt. It hurt. It hurt. It, once again, it's either penises or breasts. It hurt my breast because I fell on them. But I'm feeling better now. Tell him I love him very much. Non-mangled. Non-mangled breasts. Non-mangled non breasts. So we're, we're good. Perfect Playboy nipples. Oh, there there you go. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Sean Bowerman says, uh, does she still stay up all night? And if so... Can you pass along my contact info to you? <laughs> I do. I do. I didn't used to because when I first married Van, my husband, like, you know, he's a businessman. So he had like normal hours. And so I started going to bed at 1130. And then, then my hours kept creeping back. So I, I may get in, you know, get in bed, but I don't fall asleep till like three. And, and during this whole shutdown, like I'm awake, I'm doing stuff. Wow. As my friend, I do my, way. I do my most, I do my best thinking and creativity really late at night. And even when I did stand up, I, I was late night, my yeah. whole family, like I have one brother that's, that's not nocturnal. I mean, I'm the baby of a really old bunch of 
kids, but they're, they're all alive. There's four of us and all of us are nocturnal. It's very weird. So yes, I do stay. Um, <laughs> what time do you wake up in the morning? Then? Um, I was getting up really early for a while, like eight thirty nine, and I get up, I get up about eight thirty nine, but I stay in bed like two hours with my five chihuahuas. So I mean, not two hours, but like a good hour, and so <laughs> until they start bugging me that, that they want food. You don't get your seven or eight hours. No, but here's the funny thing. Nah, I don't get seven or eight anymore. Uh, no, Neither pro- do I. Probably I five, maybe six, maybe six, but um. During USA Network, we taped all those shows for the most part in the daytime, like or in studios. Some were done on location at night, especially the ones done in LA in the early, from like 91 to 94. But, you know, when we moved to New York, we were doing sometimes two in a day or two. It was like crazy scheduling when, when the show moved to New York. But my, myself, uh, yeah, I did stand up comedy. So, you know, two or three shows like in Vegas. So you don't go to bed, you're wired. And so now when I'm on US, I mean, not USA, um, HSN, HSN, used to be 24 hours a day. So I would do shows at three in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning. I mean, it's all scheduled by what they buy from my company. So now they go to tape from uh, two to seven, but I still have these crazy stupid hours. Like I'll be on like with, for in a 24 hour period, June 23rd. <laughs> so a long time. Oh my God. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I never sleep either and you look fantastic. So <laughs> hopefully... I can stay uh, looking the way that I. Oh, well, do. thank you. That's sweet. It's just just <laughs> fake lashes. Same with mine. <laughs> well, it's not a fake mustache. I just haven't actually. Somebody did ask how my beard is coming along, and I shaved it because it looked fucking ridiculous. But I haven't shaved my goatee or mustache. I like it. I look like Raleigh yep. fingers now. So oh, I, look I like, like it. A... <laughs> no, I really like it. You look like a bad guy from an Earl Flynn movie. No, yeah, no, I like it. <laughs> no, I totally like it. I usually don't like I, I want to twist those little curls. It is fun to do, but like the more you do it, the more it, it twists. Right. So like I don't I don't want to mess with it too much. Yeah. You look like an extra in Cutthroat Island. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going for, actually. Or to, or what did you tell me the other day? You said I looked like I was going to pitch a no hitter for the A's in 1976. No, yeah, you looked like you were going to pitch a no hitter for the Pirates. Oh, I was going to ask you when you were going to report to spring training. <laughs> All right, let's get back to these questions here. We got uh, Eugene Lankford says, "Do you still keep a can of Aquanet hairspray?" Uh, no, not even when I was doing USA Network. I think Aquanet was out long before that. I mean, I used to. Just spray my hair a lot but aquanet goes back i'm not that old i mean i'm old but not that old come on eugene they still sell it in the stores i have a can of it downstairs really i think it is like i think it i think it like really holds everything <laughs> you know including like a, <laughs> if your roof was leaking it might hold that i don't use hairspray anymore yeah. <laughs> no your your hair looks very natural thank you it doesn't look like you're, it's not teased up or anything well that's because i had somebody come over and do the roots it was bad Oh, just for us? Yes, yeah, just for you. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yes, just, just All right, let's, for you. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, some guy actually he posted a picture of uh, you and him from the 90s. Uh, I don't know if you know him. I don't, maybe he worked on the set. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Ask her if she <laughs> ask her if she ever hooked up with Gilbert Godfrey. No, but um, I'm not that way, but we, he definitely always wanted to borrow like 25 cents because they didn't have cell phones when, when, you know, back in the early days and he's really cheap. So he would, he'd want to make paid phone calls because I think he lived with his mother back then. And so he's always borrowing money from me. 
Like you call that hooking up. That was Ian Lee Messler that that asked that. But you know, maybe way. he uh, saw me in a comedy club because I have a lot of I get a lot of pictures of people post me uh, posts from me doing stand up. Oh, it could be. It could have been. Uh, let's see what else we got here. After cameos on so many classic sitcoms like Fonzie's Girlfriend, A Team, Three's Company, Married with Children, etc., which was the most fun to ha- on set? Um. Probably three. Uh, Married with Children was really cool. I enjoyed that a lot. And Henry Winkler's a dick. You know, yeah, I read your whole story about that. Yeah, That's he's fucked really, up. Yeah, but he's he's denied it. And one one day I'll have my moment with him. Well, of course he. Wait, he what does. did I miss? What is this story? Um, it, I was doing Happy Days on a regular basis. I was really young. I was in my twenties, and you know, I was just getting really lucky. My you know, they started using me without even calling me. And so I got an episode where most of this particular part was just like make, I was his girlfriend and I was just making out with him a lot. I had like maybe two lines in it, but they had used me so many times that, you know, they would start just calling me directly. Anyway, long story short, I got booked for a commercial and they rehearsed on Thursday and they shot on Friday live in front of a live audience. Well, Thursday I got a church's fried chicken national commercial and you're a young actress and that's a lot of money. It's residuals. So I asked Gary Marshall and I asked Bobby Hoffman, who was the casting director. And I asked everybody, is it okay if I take off Thursday since pretty much we had rehearsed all week and, you know, pretty simple to make out with someone. But anyway, Henry was incensed. So I go, I show up on Friday to my dressing room and my name is down and no one called to tell me that I was let go. So Henry decided to cast the girl who was, I guess she stood in for me, who was just, I don't know who she was, made her Screen Actors Guild on the spot. And then when I showed up, he pulled me into his dressing room and he gave me this nasty ass lecture. Like, you know, when I was in college, I did something like this. And if you really want to be a serious actress, you know, you don't take a commercial. I'm like, and I'm, I'm bawling. I am crying. I'm like, well, I, of course I wouldn't have done this. I asked everyone, he goes, well, you should have just known what was right. I mean, no one would take credit for giving you the time off. And he, you know, he's a star. He was a star, you know, so they let me go. And they weren't going to fight Henry. And he's denied that. He, right. I didn't have the power to do that. No, he just told them, let her go. But anyway, yeah, it came up in, in an interview recently and they actually called him. He denied it. But it was true. He was a dick. He was a dick and he is a dick and he's not a nice guy. He's not. I mean, he puts the nice person's act on, but he's not. Well, that's good to know. Fuck him. Fuck him. Never coming on. (laughs) I mean, he really, I mean, seriously, what he did and I didn't realize that sitcom was what I really wanted out there. I love comedy. You know, Gary Marshall, they were doing Mork and Mindy and Laverne and Shirley. So once they took me out of Happy Days, I wasn't even allowed to read for any of those other shows anymore. Yeah, you got blacklisted. And he did it. He's a dick with a mangled dick. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to a happier question. uh, Do you miss the limelight that you received back then? Do you miss it or do you enjoy taking it easy? I don't think that he realizes that you're busy as shit. That's a a great question because people don't know I'm on HSN. So it's a great great question. Um, And, you know, here's the funny thing. Like in the very beginning when I first got married, which was in 2000, and I moved because I'm like this old fashioned chick. And I moved because my husband started a business then to Lafayette, Louisiana. We're originally from New Orleans. And I did. And I took plays and I did all this stuff because I kept telling myself that I didn't miss it. But we kept a place in L.A. for a long time. 
And, and then eventually, you know, in my mind, because I was over, I was 40, that I was done, which is obviously not true when you have JLo and all these people that are like getting much older. Anyway, when I got married, you know, I committed to that. So, but I wanted to do something else and I wanted to start a business. And I just thought, you know, my time was up in LA, you know, and it wasn't, but I just thought that of myself. Cause I obviously I could have grown out by showing good acting that I, I could have moved on from the character, but you know, I, I got married. So I moved on, knock on wood. Um, I mean, I'm saying it all ended up okay, but I never turned around and felt bad about aging or being a certain age and not, not having that moment. Cause I did, I mean, I did have like paparazzi and all that. I had that little taste of, you know, of, of stardom and it was cool, but I don't look back at it. I'm happy I did it. I'm happy I did Playboy. I'm glad I did all the things I did, but I've been really lucky enough to then have a second career, which is really cool. And so, I mean, I don't think of HSN as the limelight. I think it's, it's sales, but I, I love doing it. I love helping women. And I'm really getting, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying this little live show that I'm getting ready to do. And I like that I'm doing it from home and my dogs are at my feet. So I have no regrets. So I do not miss the limelight but you know I, I always keep like a little tiny toe in the showbiz world because I think once it's in your heart it's in your heart like people try to get me to go back and do yeah. stand-up but I don't have that in me I don't have the I just don't have the desire to write I did want to write the book and I did write a book and I thought that was a big deal I mean it took me two years to get it done and I did it so that was cool oh, that was a long answer that was kind of like a man crush that was like a man crush answer <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says that. I don't know if it's good or bad. All right, so let me move on. Uh, last one I got here. It says uh, this is from DJ Hiddle, which uh, good listener we've, we've known him for a while. Uh, he said, "Is she in contact with any of her sex symbol dynasty co-stars?" Well, Linnea Quigley, um, um, the other girl, uh, Monique Gabriel. She was married to this guy who got her into the porn industry and nice guy. He, he, he was a nasty, he, he did some <laughs> sleazy things. So um, I lost track of her. I knew she moved to Florida. Linnea had moved to Florida. Linnea, I just had on myself on my show. She's great. And I stay in touch with her. Uh, the other girl was from the prices, right? Diane Parkinson. I don't stay in touch with her and Julie strain, you know, about Julie strain, right? I mean, do you know who Julie, Julie Strain was also like the queen of the later B films and gorgeous. And she has dementia, like really, she fell off Mm -hmm. of a horse, like I guess when she was really young and it doesn't look, it doesn't look like she will have a very long life. So CTE um, type deal or something. So um, she also, she took over that world. I mean, I guess they were later films and, and, I never really kept up. She married the guy that created Ninja Turtles. She was married to him for a little while and had a child by a surrogate mother or a surrogate person. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was a little trivia. But anyway, um, so the only one is Linnea that I stay in touch with him. She's awesome. Um, and then some of the other girls like Michelle Bauer, like a lot of these people, like they reach out to me. So I would probably end up having them all back on my show because I think they were, they were always on my show. They were great. There's a lot of questions that, uh, will you marry me or anything about nothing about my feet? Nothing, nothing about-, about your feet. Why is there, should there be? <laughs> oh my gosh. Up all night was based around my feet. We started playing into it. I'd squish things with my feet. I'd show my feet. I'd have people painting. It was like whatever the fans <laughs> like asked for, like we did it. Like we were like, we were just so over the top. 
the not so silent foot fetishists out there. <laughs> oh my gosh, they used to send me gifts. I got champagne. That's hilarious because <laughs> I remember it now that you're saying it. I remember you doing stuff, and as a, as a teenager, I didn't know what like I know. Well, I mean, it's like either you're feet, in, but... either you're into it or it's like gross. You know, people are like feed this. Yeah. In the meantime, still to this day, yeah. I get fan mail. At my home, I don't know how they've gotten that address, but I guess you can find out anything now. Uh, but I get fan mail um, at least uh, like three times a week, like a nice bundle of mail. And a lot of it has to do with feet. Send me your dirty socks. <laughs> can you get your toenail clippings in a jar? Yeah. yeah oh, <laughs> but, you know, I still, I still autograph pictures and I get them back out. And, you know, I'll probably be doing more of that now that the show will, you know, now that we'll end up doing it. It'll live on a website. Well, yeah. see, with your apparel line, you got to come out with a line of Rhonda Shear socks oh, just yeah. for that segment of your fan base. It's not socks. They want they want dirty hosiery, which no one wears anymore, and they want used shoes or just – Mancrest, didn't you play bass in dirty hosiery in high school? <laughs> <laughs> That's just fucking weird. I, I just like the whole foot thing I don't get. I don't get it. You got to go yeah. back and find that film and watch it. I think you guys would like it. The one that I won, um, won the award for that I can't think of the name of it, but you'll see it. If you go to my IMBD or IDBM or whatever the fuck that's called page, it'll come IMDb. up. IMDB. Yeah. Prison to go-go. Prison to go-go. Like it has zombies in it. These guys, they were, we, my husband and I lived in Dallas for like a minute and a half when we first got married. And this young director, like he did it with, they did it with film shorts because they, they did it with like 35 millimeter, but they were short. I guess it was like the end of the roles from real mm. films, but they did the whole film that way. So you'd be in the middle of a scene and all of a sudden they'd be like, we're out of film. Oh my God. That's the worst. And then you got to wait for them to re. Do they have more than one yeah. camera? Probably yeah, not. They did. I think they did. Oh, they were, I mean, they were actually really good. That was their first film. For, they were really young. Um, and anyway, long story short, they had the, they had the the shower scenes. They had ninjas. They had zombies. They had, they had everything. It's funny. It's a it's a it's a parody of itself. And Lloyd Kaufman's in it, and I'm in it. That's awesome. I'm I'm looking at a picture that's that's it says it's from up all night though but it's under oh wait maybe this is from your imdb page it looks like you're wearing like a latex dress oh yes that was actually it truly a rubber dress <laughs> did that block all your pores you had to use armor all to clean it um and it's i wore one of them if it's the pink one that was what i wore to wrestlemania 10 oh my god you have to use armor all to clean it and WD-40 to get yeah, into it. You did. <laughs> get it off. <laughs> it was very, very hot. And um, I'd like to be able to get back into that. I was, well, you all know I was in Spaceballs, right? Yep. And we just had um, Michael Winslow was just on. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, and you know, he was I, get, also in Spaceballs. I get more attention from doing the one freaking line where I ordered a Luna fish sandwich than from other things that I've done. I mean, I did, you know, when I did that, I mean, it was really cool because Mel Brooks, you, you, everybody met Mel Brooks that was auditioning and he looked at me and he wanted me for the waitress scene. He goes, but I can't cast you as a waitress because you're a, br you're a brunette. I'm like, I'll put on a wig, you know, <laughs> he's like, no, no, I'm gonna, I, I need a blonde. I'm like, he's really funny. So he goes, just show up and um, I'll find, well, I'll throw you some lines that day. And he wanted me, but he, he that's what he did. Threw me some, That's you know, awesome. and that one damn line, it, it's like people still make over that because, you know, people know, know that film by heart. Mm -hmm. Yep, right. absolutely. Well, that's cool. That's even better. Like he made a, a role for you 
on yeah. the spot because he liked you so much. So that's even yeah. better than you having know, he, something he that's was, already he pre-written. He was super cool. I mean, just to be able to meet and audition and work, you know, I mean, Mel Brooks. It's, I used to have, uh, it was really sad. I had a poster from it and um, the president of HSN, her husband was a big spaceball fan and it had my name on it and I signed it and I gave it to him. Now I'm depressed because I can't find it anywhere, <laughs> not on eBay, not on any. It was just a really cool memorabilia because memorabilia goes really, you know, oh, yeah. It's a big deal from Spaceballs. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. You mentioned this a couple times, like, especially through these questions. You, you were talking about this show that you have that's starting to come on. Before you go, tell everybody where it's going to be, what it's going to be on so they can find it. Because I'm, okay, cool. I'm sure all these people that are asking these questions want to know. Yes. You guys have to come on. You guys have to come on as a threesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now you're talking. <laughs> But anyway, to tell you where you can find me every Saturday night. Um, so after this week, we're going to be living on, it's a website page called Rhonda Shear, not with the S, just RhondaShearSocialHour.com. And then from that page, um, all of the shows will live on that page. And then we'll have links to all the celebrities and people that we have on. And then it will also be broadcast on YouTube and Facebook at the same time. Hopefully. And then hopefully we can turn it into a podcast as well. But right now, just RondaShearSocialHour.com. And we are invited for a threesome. Yes, I would like that to go to a threesome. So that's what I heard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So congratulations to Mike Ranger again for pulling out the victory on this episode. And I want to say thank you very much to our special guest judge, Rhonda Shear. Thank you, boys. I can't wait to come back and stay all night with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doolers. Well, if you've missed an episode, you can always head over to DuelingDecades.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. And then surf on over to Facebook.com forward slash DuelingDecades where you can join our private group and share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, Doolers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.